it's maybe not so difficult to get one sensational shot. Listening to Local Trouble on the One Sensational Shot Network. My name is Luke Littleboy, and this is the new look, new format, Local Trouble. Uh, if you've never listened to us before, uh, because you're mostly a One Sensational Shot listener of uh, our other podcasts on that feed, uh, then happy to have you with us. We talk about Star Wars specifically, the franchise that matters most to us. And uh, we've kind of reformatted and retooled the show because uh, there's a lot of Star Wars podcasts out there, if, uh, if anyone's noticed. And uh, a lot of those guys talk about the latest news and all that kind of thing, really up to date. And uh, basically, we don't have that kind of time. <laughs> so we, we've decided to, uh, to, to focus on basically what we originally started doing Local Trouble 4 was because James and I used to meet in the pub and talk Star Wars and talk with friends. So that's where we're going with this. We thought, you know what, instead of talking about all the latest news and all that kind of thing and reviewing the latest book or comic book whatever let's uh, let's draw back a little bit and let's um, let's just talk about a particular topic that's interesting us at the moment um so there's loads this 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 is of course the 20th anniversary this year of the phantom menace so we're going to do some phantom menace episodes uh coming up we're going to be talking about the origins of the force both in the movies and the script we're going to talk about the first draft of star wars and where a lot of the original ideas and concepts came for from but uh this episode this first in the new format of local trouble is uh, is another kind of Phantom Menace one, to be honest with you. Uh, it's was Anakin the chosen one? Ooh. So that's what we're going to be getting into. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't say that is Anakin Skywalker the chosen one is necessarily a Phantom Menace question. I think this is a, this is only this is the most relevant now as we've got the sequel trilogy. But that's more on that later. Um, news news oh, wise, yeah. I point. don't know. They haven't released the title for Episode Nine yet, and they finished shooting though, which is cool. Uh, they finished shooting, and, and you know the big deal there was JJ sent that tweet out, didn't he? With um, you had uh, you had Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, and Oscar Isaac all hugging in the yeah. desert, uh, where they were filming in Jordan. And um, I think the the big news there is that uh, Daisy had her original kind of Force Awakens outfit and hair. Yeah. So uh, apparently, some people are saying that <clears throat> that's because they've had to match scenes with uh, with Carrie. Um, with uh, you know un- unused footage, that seems to be the rumor. Uh, and whether they're going back to Jakku or not, I don't know. Um, but th- the other thing is that that picture that JJ tweeted, obviously, let's let's not beat around the bush. I don't think that was actually from the last day of filming. I think that was from earlier yeah. on. He just uh, wanted to have that wonderful moment of them all because they have they done the reshoots the as well. They will do reshoots, yeah. so they've only finished principal photography. So, so this is not the last shot of four, of, uh, of episode nine being shot. You know that there will be more in the coming months. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure of that. No, no, no doubt about it. And they'll be recreating sets. Um, oh God, how spoilery do you want to get? I, I, I've, I've been reading one or two little bits. We can do a little spoiler alert if you want. Yeah, do it, do it, do the spoiler alert. It doesn't matter. I mean, usually our spoilers are as um, <laughs> are as uh, rubbish as anyone else's. Really have any truth? (laughs) (laughs) I was just reading about one of the sets, one or two of the sets, and and this is uh, making making StarWars.net. These guys report on spoilers uh, really well, and they've got some good sources. They normally come out uh, fairly accurate. 
they were talking about how there's an Act 2 set apparently has been reconstructed in Pinewood, so it feels like we might be going back there. And this is the big one. Apparently, allegedly, the Lars homestead has been reconstructed from Tatooine. Okay, that's interesting. So whether that's true or not, I have no idea. I wouldn't be of liberty to say, but I mean, something we'll get into in this topic, actually, is that you know the responsibility of Episode 9 is to try and tie together nine episodes of a saga. Yeah, so. Yeah. It does stand to reason that maybe they'd be revisiting some 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 iconic you know places from Star Wars. You know, I hope it's not. Uh, well, they always say about like closing off a saga, it's like this victory lap, right? And um, I, I wouldn't mind if it wasn't so much that, and that we had again like with Episode Eight, like a quite a progressive original story that was sort of very interesting, mm. um, if not a little bit tough to take at times. Um, but I, I get the feeling with with JJ and the, the sea, MacGuffin... I think it's probably going to be a bit more fan conducive. Is that the right term? I don't want to uh, annoy yeah. anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I do know what you're getting yeah. at. Um, the, the JJ. I, I've got such a love hate thing with JJ because Return of the JJ. Technically, he's Return of the JJ. He's 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 a fun director. You know, yeah. I, I look back at his feature films since since Mission Impossible Three. I watched Mission Impossible 3 not so long ago when we were prepping on one sensational shot for our Mission Impossible episode when we were looking at all the all the franchise. And Mission Impossible 3 is a great entry to the series. It's really fun. And all of his stuff, uh, you know, through to Super 8, which is that kind of love letter to Steven Spielberg movie. Oh, it's got Carl Chandler in it. It's always... From early hard, edition. Yeah, from early edition. <laughs> <laughs> Viewers who... Uh, well, sorry, guy. listeners, check out early edition. It's um, Luke bought me the DVD. It's a pinnacle of... Early two thousands or late nineties, I think. I think it was like late nineties. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it was like ninety eight. Was maybe yeah. season one. Oh man, TV was good back then. That's uh, that's some of the news. But I've also heard. Have you also heard about the Obi Wan Kenobi movie? Come on, because Ewan McGregor was was at the solo premiere. If you cast your mind back, yes. And I think they were all ready to to do a big, as George would say, a big whoop de do. <laughs> they were all ready to do a big whoop de do and announce the uh, Obi Wan yeah. movie. And um, obviously, as we all know, Solo underperformed at the box office and um, didn't do so well. So, so they drew on the brakes of future Star Wars stories. However, as we all know, streaming is the future, and Disney Plus is here. So we've got the we've got the Mandalorian TV show, haven't mm-hmm. we, with John Favreau? Yeah. We've got the uh, uh, Cassian Andor prequel, which I'm really looking forward to. Rogue One um, seems to be to my wife. gold, doesn't it? I mean, like it's it was such a good movie. I mean, I know they had to retool the entire back end of that film to kind of make sense, which is why you've got, um, like, um, Bodhi Rook just, like, continually explaining how to plug in a cable to people. But... (laughs) Yeah. It's a great movie. Like, shot shot in the corner of a little room as well, because you're like, that's when you always know something's a reshoot, when it's like, just build a little bit of a set and then have someone explain something. Oh, back in the prequel days, you would have been able to just shoot them on blue screen and do whatever you liked. But now we have to make everything for real again. Um, we we yeah, have the little yeah, yeah. rooms, but yeah, it, it worked as a film for me. I, I really liked it. I really enjoy Rogue One. It's the one film that seems to unite Star Wars fans, isn't it? At, at the moment, it's like the one Disney era film that everyone's like, "Oh, I thought Rogue One was okay." Yeah, and I think uh, maybe because it's so much not a Star Wars film as well. I suppose is the concession there. It's very off, off the beaten track, isn't it? It's kind of how I imagine Ryan's other still, trilogy it, would have felt, you know, very away from it. I mean, it's, it's it's instrumental in the saga, but only on a very specific plot point. 
and it just expands upon that. But I think people, I think people dig. You you are right. You know, it it goes into a specific plot point and then expands on it, and it, and it comes up with something that tonally is a, a tad different. Mm. But I think people dig it because it's still got. It's the only one that's got like Darth Vader. Yeah. In, you know. TIE fighters, <clears throat> ATSTs. Even Solo um, is more dealing with the underworld, isn't it? Yeah. The Empire are kind of there for a, a bit and then it moves on. And I think it's the one that I really felt most like I was playing Rogue Squadron on the N64. Oh, the flight or, uh, combat scene. Or Shadows of the Empire. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it was the one where I was like, I felt at home the most. I was like, oh, yeah, this is. This is Star Wars. Well, yeah. it's our, it's our age, know, I, I think, as well, man. I think it, um, you and I grew up in a post-original trilogy, pre-prequel kind of childhood. So for us, the gap between the two trilogies was always where we kind of lived and, you know, admired yeah. all six movies and loved all six. And uh, so when mm. Rogue One came out, and, and Solo to a certain extent, I love Solo. and I love anything in that era between the two trilogies. Um mm. I look forward to maybe meeting younger people in the future who will say, "Oh, for me, it's the 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 original trilogy and the sequel trilogy, and then all the films that are in that gap. I love those, you know." And the conversation goes on. I hope, unless we're, unless yeah. we're just like you know, throwing nasty words at each other on a, on a forum, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I don't know. It could well be. Yeah. It could well be. Um, I tend to try and hang out mostly on reddit now it's a tad more civil the, the only problem <coughs> with reddit is it normally descends into uh bad puns and jokes within about three posts <laughs> that's fine i'm all so for that you could, yeah so there's, there's a piece of news and i'm like oh great i want to read about this i wonder what people are saying about it oh 800 comments people are really talking about this one and then, and then by the time you're three posts in everyone's just like, i'm just dying to this, see it Ooh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> someone's ripping on a joke that someone made like 18 posts up uh it's it's really great <laughs> but not not the best for discourse but yeah. uh, but but nevertheless at least it's f a bit friendlier generally fun speaking. not fighting that's what we want in our star wars i was gonna say this uh obi-wan movie is now apparently going to be a new tv okay. show on disney plus and uh, there is a rumour that they've just started production in the UK on a third unnamed Disney Plus Star Wars show. Uh, and it's going to be, I think, six six episodes long, so it feels like oh, a mini-series. I was just about to say, I hope it's a mini-series. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is the rumour, with Ewan starring, and it's basically just going to be extrapolating the, the movie script, so I don't think we're going to miss out on any kind of storytelling per se. That, that will be... Uh, what it is, you know, it'll be just a, just the, the movie script and, and maybe even you know more time for character development, that kind of thing. So maybe it'll be a positive in mm -hmm. that sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm up for it. You know, I think it's a shame. I think Star Wars is belongs on the silver screen. So it's it's a shame that Disney feel like they can't be uh, you know releasing this stuff on there. But hey, uh, I'm up for it. And if it's really good, if it goes down really well, if it's shot beautifully, you never know. Maybe there'll be a midnight. Uh, you know, back to back, the whole Obi Wan TV show in a, in a movie theater or something. We can go watch the whole thing on a special screen. That would be screening. mega. That would be so good. Um, yeah. It is close to George's original idea for Star Wars, isn't it? I mean, like the episodes and the fact that it's meant to be the Saturday afternoon TV show. I mean, uh, you know, we just don't yeah. know yet how the format is going to react to television. It may become great. I mean, if Clone Wars and Rebels are anything to go by, um, I'm I'm omitting mm -hmm. Resistance. I am aware of Resistance, of course. I've, I've 
I got different opinions about that than the other two shows at the minute. Um, nothing terrible, but like those worked really well as episodic shows, and I think it's some of the best Star Wars storytelling out there is the animated shows. So I got high hopes for the Mandalorian, yeah. and um, and by extension this new Obi Wan thing. I don't read the news anymore, I'm afraid. I mean, I know that's not doing my due diligence as a, as a podcasting kind of uh, you know host or contributor, but. I, I you know I've just been wanting to get back to the movies for a while and just um, mm. live in the universe a yeah. bit more. I think so. so I, I'm always happy yeah, yeah, as a sure. Star Wars fan when I'm just in the movies in my own world, like I was when I was a kid. Uh, just you know putting the VHS in the tape machine and just uh, and just watching them. That's all I really cared about, and that's that's where I'm happy. So yeah. Um, like I said, uh, in the coming months, we're going to be looking at nostalgic looks back at, at the release of The Phantom Menace. We're going to be looking at uh, in-universe explanations for things. We're going to be looking at um, the making of these films and, and, and why things were a certain way because of uh, necessity or, as George would say, mostly money and time. Uh, so we'll, uh, His money and time, we're most be of the time. His money and yeah. yeah, you're on my time. <laughs> you want to do? You want to reshoot the entire day of Yoda, Frank? Okay. <laughs> I mean, and that and that was the end of Gary Kurtz, really, as well. That was the beginning of the end yeah. for him because George was longtime producer. Because obviously George wasn't on set, uh, and that's why he was on set all the time for Return of the Jedi, just making sure everything was done the way he wanted it done, yeah. uh, as as quickly as possible and cheaply as possible. Because uh, with 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 Empire, it was obviously Kirshner was there, and uh, Kirshner being um, the kind of director he was, Frank said, I think we can do it all again, let's redo the day. And Kirsch was like, yeah, probably right, okay, let's redo the day. And, uh, it's, and, it's and Gary dime. was okay. It's George's dime. And Ga- Gary, obviously, that was he was supposed to be there as, um, you know, purse string watch and making sure things were getting done. And, and that's when George really fell out with Gary in, in, in that way, indirectly, but... Yeah. Anyway, that's that's another conversation yeah, for another day. Definitely the Ga- the Gary Kurtz effect on Star Wars because <laughs> over the years and and God rest his soul, Gary. We did an episode tribute episode to Gary when he passed away yeah. not so long ago, um, and he has in the past like, kind of decade, fifteen years, has had some great interviews where he spoke about the original kind of more downbeat Return of the Jedi and uh, his misgivings with the prequels and 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 how he was working with George back in the late seventies, early eighties. So yeah, there's a whole we can go back and. And do best of Gary Kurtz or something because oh, yeah. uh, you know he's he's the he's the guy he's a cool guy everyone all the actors loved him and um, there's no denying that he was you know instrumental in American graffiti and Star Wars and Empire you know he he was yeah. there he was the right hand guy so um, another but episode was he the anyway, chosen moving one, on was he the chosen one or was Sick it Anakin <laughs> uh, was Anakin the chosen how'd you like one? my segue pretty so, good so the first thing I thought I'd say is. Uh, is it's a couple things. So the classic you got the classic trilogy and the prequel trilogy, haven't you? And of course the classic trilogy things were pretty straightforward. And in terms of tropes, the classic trilogy was very much about the hero. Mm. Uh and of course as as we know, Joseph Campbell uh and George being inspired in part by that and, and myth, uh the concept of the hero is is around in every single culture and um you know, that's changed over time. Uh, so I, I was doing a bit of reading into it. The ancient world uh, to the early modern world to the present day, things have changed. So in the ancient world, uh, the heroes were compelling um, because they embodied virtues and qualities common to the experience of people at the time, which m- maybe war or violence mm-hmm. or survival. And then as things moved on, 
uh, in our present day, we kind of think of the hero more as someone who idealizes values, uh, our values, and, and because we're yearning for a better world and, and to be in a better place. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely See Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker Return character. of the Jedi for that. You know, his great yeah. pacifistic force act of non of non-violence representing you know what would could be said to be a 21st century ideal um no exactly the way he wins is by throwing down the lightsaber yeah, which, which is what i always love about those which six. he did in return of the <laughs> jedi the yeah i mean he's always practiced that that's why luke maybe is definitely a candidate for chosen one because he he does what no one else does he throws away the weapon which is so iconic to their order and instead relies on a peaceful yeah. future it's it's beautiful stuff um the, and, you know, critics of the prequels say this, but Luke was clearly our guy. You know, we felt like we could be him, we could relate to him. He was stuck at home, uh, having to do chores, work for his uncle. And most importantly, this whole notion of the Chosen One thing was not there in the original movie, and it was not there in the original trilogy when that was there in, in just in isolation, because it kind of felt like anyone could 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 use the Force if they tried hard enough. And uh, if they were attuned to it enough, you know, if, if mm. anyone, if they studied hard enough, could be that guy. Yeah. And yes, they talk about destiny and fate, but I do think that that kind of works in, in Luke's favor. That I was, I was looking through tvtropes.com, I'll put the link there, and there's a great Douglas Adams, uh, the author of Hitchhiker Guys of the Galaxy, a great quote from him about like kind of criticizing the whole chosen one thing where he says it's one thing to think that you're the center of the universe it's another thing entirely to have this confirmed by an ancient prophecy (laughs) which i thought i thought was a really good way of putting it because most people think they're the lead in their own play right so (laughs) if you think you're the chosen one and this is this is kind of the the thing so we'll move on to the the prequels um and they were introducing this notion of the chosen one for the first Mm. time and obviously it goes back to this whole biblical religious thing of the, of the messiah um who's a savior or liberator or a group of people um and the concept originally when i was doing my research into this did not know this at the time the concept originated in judaism mm-hmm. uh, and it was in that sense a human leader physically descended from from the house of david through king david king solomon so uh, it was very much a human person. Of course, in Christianity, as, as, as many of us know, Messiah is called the Christ. Yeah, they, they go one, they, they one up uh, Judaism. I mean, religions, you know, it's quite yeah, cynical. Exactly. They always seem to be able to do this to each other. They, they always look for the one up and they, they, make, they make the Messiah actually God himself, you know, in a way. Mm. And so they're always looking for the, <laughs> the technological um, sequel moment, I think, um, is it almost like a playground thing? Like my dad could beat up. Yeah, your well, dad my dad is God. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's it is kind of that thing, unfortunately. You know, you know, we are talking about the world's major monotheisms, but it does all boil down to sort of desert-based, sect-based politics and tribalism for the most part. I, I know we probably have some faithful mm. listeners. I don't mean to be uh, so aggressive, but you know, if we if we just strip away all of that for a little while and focus on the actual historical you know, knowledge about these mm. things and how they develop, it, it sort of does go that way. Um, yeah, like the, the roots of it, as yeah. it were. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, the Christi- Christianity, definitely, like, like you said, uh, quite rightly, the, the whole son of God mm. thing, this is, this is really one-upping where, where the Messiah came from in Judaism. And um, they think that Christ is going to fulfill 
the, the prophecies, the messianic prophecies, specifically that he's going to uh, usher in a messianic, uh, messianic age mm. uh, and the world uh, to come to this what we call the second coming, basically. So this is this is this whole fulfilling of prophecy thing. Um, and TVTropes.com is a good place um, if ever you want to look at TV tropes, of course. And uh, they've got a very wry sense of humour just in, in, in what they put together. And uh, when I was looking into kind of the notion of the chosen one on TV tropes, they were saying, and th- th- again, this is a criticism of Harry Potter, the prequels, uh, any anything where you've got a chosen one in, in there as the protagonist. Um, they say, take it for granted that they're the only one who can deal with the situation. The methodology may be imprecise, uh, but bonus points, of course, apply if the chosen one is actually, if the word chosen one, the words chosen one is actually used in the work, so in the, in the movie or whatever. The key here is that these characters are held in esteem for their expected potential, occasionally determined by past accomplishments. Occasionally determined, I thought was, was interesting. Um, if their job description involves defeating the darkness and involves long years of danger and struggle, chances are they've been made a mix of the hero. So I was thinking about Anakin, and I thought, you know what? Qui-Gon says when, when he discovers him, they, they, they find out that he could well be the Chosen One because of the, the strength of the midichlorians in his blood. It could be. I mean, I th- and, I, to Qui-Gon's uh, defence, he, he senses it as soon as he lands on Tatooine. Obi-Wan too. So before we, before we get they? into like the... The much derided midichlorian argument, which I've never really had a problem with. I don't understand where fans come from on it. You know, they're, they're just trying to find a system by, well, there's got to be some background underlying condition for why we feel these impulses. You know, it's a nice sort of nod to the scientific. Yeah, they, um, they land on Tatooine after the ship is damaged. And um, they, Qui-Gon says, I, I, I sense something you know, and um, Obi-Wan agrees with them. I don't know the exact dialogue, sorry, I only watched the movie last night, but I've forgotten it all, I was, it was a bit late. But um, they're, they're constantly referencing, even from the first time we see Obi-Wan on, um, on the Viceroy's ship, that, you know, I sent something elsewhere, something elusive. It's then I mean, He may be sensing the grand plot against the Jedi from Palpatine, but Qui-Gon on Tatooine mentions, yes, there's, there's a, a disturbance in the Force. So it's... It originates from the old, well, the classic trilogy ways they talk about it. The midichlorians are like, they're just like a side to it, really, I suppose. Mm. It's it's like a cue to the audience, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. take Anakin seriously, isn't it? Or you're special. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it's a, I think it was a bit of a, it's a little bit of a cheat, because I, I think it's just a way that, He's definitely confirming that Anakin is as powerful as all the characters around him are saying that he is. Um, So it feels cheap, but I mean, I've never had a problem with them. I don't think they demystify the Force or anything. They're just this other element. You know, they're this thing that live live within us. I would say um, that if you have a problem with midichlorians, the best way to think about it is the like the discovery of DNA. You know, it doesn't it doesn't take away from the wonder and mystery of life. It just explains maybe how it comes about. Um, and, you know, mm. just because your father has tons of midichlorians it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, as far as I can see, although it does appear that way in the saga that we're concerned with. But you, one can mm. naturally be born with midichlorians, I imagine, or, or an amount. And every, every single living thing is, I suppose, even the air. I don't know. We'll see about that. 
Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I don't think they take away any of the, the mystery, the majesty of what the Force is, or your faith with it. It's just this... Um, there's just this method that that's used to t- display how strong one could be with yeah. it. People say that it takes away from the, that whole thing I was talking about earlier about Luke is uh, Luke's our guy, and, and and we could we could be him if we you know put in the time and the patience and the and, and, and became one with the world. Mm. You know, we we could be that guy too. And, and people feel like the midi clones take away from that, and I can see the argument. I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but. Um, the other thing with the midichlorians from a plot point of view is one of the main themes of the Phantom Menace, we're going off for a bit of a tangent now, but one of the main themes is about um, symb- symbiosis and, and symbionts yeah. and how people live together for mutual advantage and the, you should always remember that. And it's the same with the Gungans and the, the humans on Naboo. Uh, they have to recognise that before they can come together and defeat a com- common enemy. Um, so that's that's kind of one of the main themes of the movie. And uh, I, th- I think that's why, partially why they're in there too, you know. Yeah, I think um, to, on, on The Chosen One as well, this, this idea of symbiosis, um, things needing to exist in the same place, maybe gives a little bit of light on what George maybe had in his mind when he talked about balance. So I think it's hard to have a conversation about The Chosen One in Star Wars without talking about what we all consider balanced force to be. Um, there seems to be a great amount of disagreement mm. on what a balanced force is. Um, mm. So some believe that it's the complete non-existence of the Sith and letting the natural order of things just continue. Now I don't know whether that includes with Jedi or without. And others believe that you need the Sith and the Jedi in equal measure to maintain the balance in the middle. I don't know which camp you fall into or whether you've decided. Um, what do you reckon? <laughs> I had always assumed. I had always assumed it was that uh, f- from the evidence that's there in the original six. I had always assumed it meant that the, it meant the absence of the Sith, and then allowing the world to continue fr- from there. Yeah. So in two thousand and five, uh, there was a featurette on the Revenge of the Sith DVD, and I'll I'll put the audio clips in the in the in the podcast, but. Um, George talks pretty explicitly about it. He says the real fun of episode three is the fact that it connects all the dots for finally uh, you can see how episode one relates to episode six and how they all come together. You know, you got to remember this is one movie and it's meant to be seen one through six. So I think when you watch the actual movie in order, the story will become very clear that Anakin is the chosen one. And even when Anakin turns into Darth Vader, he is still the chosen one. Darth Vader became such an icon in the first film, episode four, that that icon of evil sort of took over everything, much more than I intended. If it had been one movie, that wouldn't have happened. He would have been revealed to be this pathetic character at the end of the movie. Uh, But now by adding episodes one, two, and three, people begin to see the tragedy of Darth Vader as, as what it was originally intended to be. The prophecy is that Anakin will bring balance to the Force and destroy the Sith. He becomes Darth Vader. Darth Vader does become the hero. Darth Vader does destroy the Sith, meaning himself and the Emperor. He does it because he is redeemed by his son. So the prophecy is true. And by doing that, he redeems himself and goes from being Darth Vader back to being Anakin again. And this is, I mean, that's heavily Christian. You know, it's the self-sacrificing moment. Um, You know, he he dies for the greater good of the universe. Uh, the galaxy, sorry. 
<laughs> yeah, George. I mean, the, the other thing I, I was sort of mulling over is there's this is Anakin Skywalker the chosen one is a different question in and out of universe, isn't it? Out of universe, it's very clear that George wanted to make these six movies and had this lovely kind of idea of this this path of the of the villain actually being the victim and all mm. of that sort of stuff. But you know, out out of you um, to stay out of universe as well with the sale of you know to Disney. Disney now have to sort mm. of wrestle with this kind of complete circle of films and go, well, how do we add on to that without seeming like a, an epilogue or a coda? Mm. And um, mm. so I imagine the answer to is Anakin, chosen, is Anakin the Chosen One out of universe is very different depending on the era in which you're living. Um, mm. In universe, though, I've, I've toyed around with the idea that it just... You know, Yoda's words, a prophecy misread it could have been. And wonder if it's fun mm. to watch the movies with, with the idea in mind that all of them are wrong and there is no such thing as a chosen one. And that, that it's mm. just a myth. And that actually, you know, people are just born with varying levels of prowess and, and whether they're told that they're the chosen one is kind of more the interesting thing. Does Anakin go to the dark side because he is told that he is all-powerful? In that case, his self-fulfilling prophecy, where, where it's also or self-unfulfilling prophecy in Anakin's case. He's told he's the one, and it, and it leads to his downfall, maybe. Um, I've always felt, felt that. When he's, yeah, and when he's trying to get more power to save Padme, save his mother, you know, whatever... Um, that I think that you know that, that clearly is a motivation for his lust for power. It's not necessarily about owning uh, a, a different planet, you know, or whatever, no. or getting a chain of burger restaurants, or you know, whatever. He's not looking, chain of look, looking Drex's for that. Drex's diners. Oh, Dex. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. He uh, he's not looking for that. He's looking to control. I mean, it is control people, and you know that's. That's his selfishness. You know, he thinks he's being selfless, but he's actually just trying to control people. He's con- um, well, I would argue he's that. trying to control the things that happen to them because he wants them to be happy and good, right? I don't think any element of him wanting to stop yeah. Padme dying is... Yes, it's trying to control her destiny, but not control her necessarily. Although we, You say yeah. that, but there's moments, yeah. there's moments in Revenge of the Sith where he says... Um, I will not betray the Republic. You're starting to sound like a separatist. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And uh, yeah, as, as soon as she comes up with another notion of like, maybe this war is like the whole problem. You know, may, maybe the very thing we thought we were trying to save isn't even there anymore. You know, may, may, maybe it's corrupted mm. from within. Maybe we got to do something else. And he was, and then that's when he goes, "You're starting to sound like a separatist." It's um, true, because the war so works do, really I well do for think him. Like the, the Clone Wars are really they're the making of him. You know, they really allow him to stretch his legs and prove himself as a great warrior and a, and a great mm. force user. It really gives him what he wants. Um, but wars make one not great, and um, mm. it's yeah, it's all it's all in An- to Anakin's um, problem really. But he he get, he gets off on it. He like he's like oh, more power, more power when he's in the battles and stuff like that. So, I mean, the Clone Wars mm. series is great for that because you see him enjoying the battle. Um, mm. Obi-Wan, not so much. But Yeah, 
I think Ahsoka says at one point, uh, um, I don't think peacetime will agree with Master Anakin or something. You know, yeah. I, I, I can't remember. And this is a really is. like um, um, this is a really adult topic, isn't it? Because you know, you do guy, you do get guys coming back from the war and not knowing what to do with themselves. And mm. who am I after the battle yeah. is won? And and actually, an entire generation of British people, just to keep it within our own country, you know, you talk to a lot of people who were around at that time, and they're very old now. They said, some of them say. Um, well, the, the, the war was the only time I really knew what I was doing. Um, and that's mm. a powerful thing. Because, you know, there's, there's a clear goal, I suppose, when everything goes to grey, Anakin has no idea. But then he's never lived without war, I suppose. Um, it's, oh, God. It's, it's starting to run fray. I, I had my mind made up, I think. But no, 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 it's fine. And, and you're right. I think one of the key things you drew upon here is that, that you've got the George Lucas um, six, and he clearly made a six film narrative cycle, uh, which developed. You know, that, that's the, he didn't have the backstory all fully fleshed out, uh, like he claims, but he, he had the classic trilogy, and then he was, you know, sitting there one day, and he developed through hard work and graft a really good six film structure I think thinking how would I do some prequels aha uh-huh, here's here's an idea here's how I make it about the tragedy of of Darth Vader and he actually he, he goes on on that same feature to, to talk about a, a lot of that stuff so he says Darth Vader became such an icon in the first film episode four that I kind of uh, so it took o- it, the evil took over uh, everything much more than I intended. If it had been one movie, that wouldn't have happened. He would have been revealed to be this pathetic character at the end of the movie. But now by adding episodes one, two, and three, people begin to see the tragedy of Darth Vader as what it was originally intended to be. Um, and that's not strictly true, because the original Darth Vader character in the original um script was not Luke's father and he did not turn out to be uh, you know a good guy by the end of it or anything Mm. like that but nevertheless he had crafted this six film uh, arc by the early 90s as as to how he's going to do that but you're right and that the comparison you made is true that Disney are now wrestling with that in terms of okay how do we flex this and I say I say Disney it's not Disney is it it's the the story group um, who have obviously Lucasfilm is moving forward with new movies and uh, therefore the story group and, and the various filmmakers and directors who are coming on board with each of these pictures, you know, are wrestling with how do we flex this further. Mm. Um, going back to that original script, I thought that it was interesting that uh, instead of opening with a galaxy far, far away, I knew that it opened with a prophecy. So this is the original script. January 28th, 1975 is dated. The Adventures of the Star Killer, Episode 1, The Star Wars by George Lucas. And um, instead of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, it opens with a prophecy, and it's as follows. And in the time of greatest despair, there shall come a saviour, and he shall be known as the Son of the Sons. And that's from Journal of Mm. the Wills, 3127. So he was always playing around with this prophecy thing, even back in that original script. So yes, I think he made Star Wars... streamlined you know and, and and focused on the hero notion far more which was something far more simple he made it for uh, kids but, i think you know whole... sort of made it for the kids to enjoy and all of that stuff is mm. in the background lingering but for the most part you have like a great you know nearly two hours of action and fun and comedy and romance and you know friggin laser swords brilliant <laughs> 
but yeah, it's all there. I mean, I, I remember, you know, the Jedi Path book as well. There's a quote in there that they've revealed, which is, um, in a time of great despair, a child will be born. And this is what this is what mm. somewhat points me to Luke being the actual true chosen one, if there is to be such a thing, because Anakin yeah. was not necessarily born in a time of despair, although his life was despairing as a slave, which is an undesirable <laughs> situation for anyone. Although he's got a great set of mates yeah. and his job's pretty cushy for a slave, but slave nonetheless. <laughs> you know, the great despair is the creation of, of a galactic fascistic empire. And that's when Luke and Leia are born. Um, so it could point to the chosen ones being Luke and Leia. Um, yeah. This that's is true. in the universe, I believe, you know. It is, yeah. So you're referring to the Jedi path yeah, by Daniel Wallace. which they Wallace, have had to do some um, which is, uh, photoshopping on to reveal the blocked out or blurred out page in that book, which is funny, isn't mm, it? <laughs> so that, yeah, yeah. So so for anyone that doesn't know, the, these are a series of books. The Jedi path is one. Uh, I think there's like the Bounty Hunter's Code is another mm. one. Uh, and I think there's an Imperial Handbook, which is that. And there's also a Sith path or sith version of like the jedi path and they're these great little indian i don't own them i hasten to mm. add and um i was looking um uh, star wars theory is a, is a great youtube channel a good bunch of people there and they talk about star wars theories and uh, and they draw upon even more of the novels and books and that that, that, that that i could even manage to read one of them is the jedi path and they're these like you say in universe explanations of uh what it means to be a Jedi, what it means to be a Sith, what it means to be a bounty hunter, whatever it is. And it's this, it's kind of like just this fun little thing. But um, there are things in there that are, are good tidbits, actually, of, of where the story group's going with things, but maybe. So, like you quite rightly said, uh, there's pages in there on the Chosen One prophecy. They're all blacked out, and then there's this fun little note from Luke Skywalker, written in English, uh, not written in Orabesh. <laughs> he's written, written this note from Luke Skywalker saying that this has probably been suppressed by Palpatine. Uh, and I think some fans online took the Kindle version and they changed the contrast. Yeah. Uh, whether they stuck it in Photoshop or I don't know, but they, they changed the contrast in the Kindle version so they could read the words underneath. And the, I, I, what I couldn't believe is that actually were words underneath. I would have thought they wouldn't have bothered. Do you know what I mean? I um, think they, it was definitely left there for someone to do exactly that. You know, because it's just, it's just so? too good, isn't it? And, um, yeah. and the fact that it makes some sense and it doesn't actually answer fully, you know, it's all just a bit too... I mean, if I was doing that as a designer, I would just write the funniest stuff behind those black lines. If I knew no one would ever see it, I'd slag off all my mates, I'd make some, you know, disparaging remarks about you, and, you know, I'd just do all this stuff. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's been written, so, and I, I sort of, I dig it, I like what's written there. Um, but yeah, it speaks of this kind of ultimate moment, and that's very messianic, mm. you know, and that this, this child will be born, and... Um, I enjoyed that. It says that it, it ties in... I mean, obviously, this is post-Revenge of the Sith stuff. It ties in with Clone Wars. It says that it's one of the oldest prophecies of Mortis. Yeah. And we'll come to Mortis in a minute from Clone Wars. Um, and it says, All Jedi students able to see should understand the fulcrum that balance does not mean that good accepts the existence of evil in the way that sunlight gives rise to shadow. The dark has nothing to do with balance. Balance is the circle of life present in monolith systems. 
but before the greed of the dark side acts like a cancer on the living force and the Sith are its chief agents. The prophecy of the Chosen One there is kind of simple and it, it, it talks about how the the Sith should not be around, you mm. know. The true balance is about on, only having the Jedi around. What I, what so I think that, is but, so course, interesting is that it's, it sort of deals with the Force, and I know we're going to do a whole episode on the Force soon, so I won't go too far into it because I know we've got tons to talk about there, is that it deals with the Force almost as in a finite amount of energy where a, a tumour or a growth on it in the form of an individual on the dark side can, can harvest and you know um accumulate the power of it and that the larger this this sort of this, this kind of tumor it mm. it diminishes the the power of the force into a single individual and that's why the sith have to be stopped because the emperor i mean clearly accumulates quite a great deal of of the living force into into his own you know arsenal I mean, although maybe I'm thinking about the Force in a totally different way, but it, it, seems, it, it hints at the fact that there's there's not infinite abundance of energy in it, and that you know you, you have to mm. get you have to get what you can get, and that's why the Jedi Order are always active and always trying to find the Sith and deal with them, because you know if if one gets mm. out of control, because there's exponential growth in power, Anakin, you know, as soon as he turns, you know, the influx of all of that power just kind of makes him almost unstoppable but about that power and and what anakin chooses to do with it, it it's a perfectly good good moment to, to go back to mortis um which is what the jedi path book references uh i'm sure many people listening do know this um but for anyone not in the know season three of clone wars deals with this this dimension it's it's, it's a planet but it's it's implied it's not really part of the current time and space, uh, Mortis, and there's these three characters living there: the father, the son, and the and the daughter. And uh, they they can morph into different animals, and they seem to be living embodiments of of the Force. The father represents balance, and the son represents dark, and the daughter represents light. And the father uh, tasks Anakin with a test, and the father, sorry, the son and the daughter are going to kill uh, Anakin and uh, sorry uh, Obi-Wan and, uh, and and Ahsoka and Anakin has to make a choice between the two and um, in the end he he doesn't make the choice he 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 forces through his sheer power like you say yeah. both the son and the daughter to to heal and they they uh, are reduced to, to kneeling before him and uh, and and Obi-Wan and uh, Ahsoka are released do you feel your destiny? You must see it now. I am dying. And you must replace me. Replace you? I can't stay here. But this is yours. It has been foretold. The Chosen One will remain to keep my children in balance. No. I cannot force you to do this. The choice must be yours, but leave, and your selfishness shall haunt you, and the galaxy. Obi-Wan is the person who discovers the secret and tells Anakin what to do almost. He says, look, the planet is the force, use it. Obi-Wan mm. has the insight and the wisdom to understand what's going on in this other dimension, whereas Anakin and Ahsoka are taking it on face value. They, they literally believe themselves to be on a planet somewhere. 
Whereas Obi-Wan sees mm. through it and sees the kind of tesseract moment where this is all happening in the mind or in the force. And so it's kind of, a, it's a nice example of how Anakin always needed guidance. And the chosen one, if he is that, always needs someone of, uh, you know, sufficient wisdom or on the light side to keep it in check. Maybe Anakin always is just a balanced character and that's why he always exists on a knife edge. Um, it's also, you know, Mace mm. Window. He studied Vapad, which is a which is a style of Jedi uh, training where you almost go to the dark side. Hence, his purple lightsaber. But that's why maybe he's so able to subdue uh, Palpatine in Revenge of the Sith because he's he is more powerful. You know, leaning towards the dark does give you more power, martially at least. But it's it's extreme mm. light that gives you the wisdom and knowledge. Um, so maybe the the different sides of the force promote different attributes within the individual, and war makes Anakin desire more martial power rather than knowledge mm. and wisdom, which would be which would yeah, be more yeah, handy yeah. and powerful in peacetime. Um, mm. And that's Luke's exile is probably a good, great example of that. That you know, in a relative peacetime, he's able to focus for the first time in his life on. On what, how to be a powerful person in peacetime, and, and again, like like Anakin, doesn't find it. You know, um, or, well, he, yeah. he tries to start up a new Jedi Order and then has to live with the shame. But anyway, I've skipped ahead. But about like you say, he, he, even <laughs> even even after that, when he's in exile, though, he he's obviously spent his time gathering uh, artifacts from the Jedi and just learning as much as he possibly can. Yeah. Which is why he comes to his conclusion that the only way for balance is. Um, is to have neither the Jedi nor the Sith, and that and that that's that's the way that's the only way the galaxy will will finally be balanced. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. What, with I, so Luke what I thought in was Last Jedi, what he talk, when he's talking to Rey, what is he? What's the exact dialogue? Because it's very very pointed. It's um, you know, it's the balance between all things. I mean, this is Yoda from Episode Five as well. He talks about the Force yeah, as being this yeah. tension and balance point between all things. Between the land and the ship, between the rock and the ground, and mm. Luke gets at that in Last Jedi, and maybe that's the Force. Yeah, it's this this sort of cosmic glue, or not glue. Mm. You know, it's this kind of repulsion attraction force. I my mind isn't made up on that. I don't know where the Chosen One fits into that exactly. In, in Last Jedi, of course, you see. Ray's looking, and she she can see um, birth. She can see destruction. Yeah. You know, she can see life. She can see death. You know, all at the same time, and and everything keeps everything else in check and in balance. Um, well, that then supports think, they, that then supports definitely the theory that the Sith are a cancer on the Force, and that the Jedi aren't. You know, it, it's 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 entirely possible to have the Jedi without the Sith and have balance, because they too die. They too, you know, live in equilibrium with their surroundings. They don't take from the force. They almost just are channels of it. The only the only party which yeah. is unnatural in this is the Sith because they accumulate power and harbor it. And, and they seek eternal life. Yeah, they seek the unnatural things. things. Like they seek to live an unbalanced existence of ultimate power forever. They want to mm. be God. In a sense, they want to be the force. That's a really interesting notion. I hadn't really thought of that. Yeah, that's um, the aim, isn't it? Obviously, to be more powerful than the Force itself, and then therefore embody it. Which is why the Mortis arc is so impressive, because um, 
you, you get the whole force summed up in a planet or a very localized way. And so the, the, the stakes yeah. are massive in that, in that sort of dimension. I suppose, yeah, so, so the, that's kind of the Jedi's view of it. And, I mean, the bad guys definitely don't see it that way. Even though Snoke's not Sith, you know, he talks about how darkness appears with light to meet mm. it, you know, and, and he talks about that as the kind of balance. But I think you're right. I, th- I mean, personally, I, th- I believe more the Jedi way of it. Uh, episode 9 will be interesting to see if there's anything that um, contradicts that and, and, and it draws a new conclusion in some way. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting, going back to the whole um, in-universe and out-of-universe, you know, we know George meant for Anakin to be the chosen one. I think we, we all know that's clear, but there is this flex that's happening, uh, as we're alluding to with Last Jedi, uh, Force Awakens, and, 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 the, and the new era. And even the official Star Wars website I thought was interesting because uh, in the databank entry for Anakin Skywalker, oh, yeah. it says discovered... Discovered as a slave on Tatooine by Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi, Anakin Skywalker had the potential to become one of the most powerful Jedi ever and was believed by some to be the prophesied chosen one who would bring balance to the Force. A hero of the Clone Wars, Anakin was caring and compassionate, but also had a fear of loss that would prove to be his downfall. Now, Very this is downplayed, isn't it? Really intriguing. Really downplayed. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a prequel um, character. What do we do? Oh, bury it. Bury it, guys. <laughs> mm. That's the out of universe stuff. Yeah. Well, you know the. I watched Phantom last night. Um, Yoda is in doubt. So is Mace Windu. The the council are yeah. very much in debt in in doubt about whether he is the chosen one. It's only really Qui Gon that believes it. A Jedi master with a tendency towards uh, rebelliousness, with a rejection of the Jedi way in and of himself. So it could be argued that he he maybe had the skills to bring Anakin into line, or that he may have made him worse. I don't know. And I wonder if I wonder if Qui Gon's mind changes over time. Uh, now this is off screen, off off screen, but at the end of Episode Three, Obi Wan um, and Yoda reveals to Obi Wan that he's been talking to Qui Gon. And if you watch Clone Wars up mm. until the end, Season Six. Uh, there's a great episode where they bring back Liam Neeson to do to voice Qui-Gon, and uh, he's talking to Yoda about how to commune with the living force and how you can basically disappear to be a force ghost, for want of a much better way of putting it. And the um, mortality. Of course, Qui-Gon, Yoda, and Obi-Wan spent hours and hours talking, chit-chatting to each other post-episode three. Um, I wonder if if all three of them uh, have come to the conclusion that Anakin isn't isn't the chosen one, and it is Luke, which is um, which is then of course in Empire, why Yoda's so afraid when 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 Luke runs off to to face Vader alone and 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 too early, um, because Lucas only did the six films, and of course I'm sure he wasn't thinking that at all, but Disney are on the case now, and uh, and the story group's on the case now, and like you say, they have to flex the narrative to to make sure that these the sequel trilogy isn't just a coda and i think that you know of course if vader is the chosen one then it means that luke is kind of a bit player and uh yes he the son redeems the father where does that leave us for the luke in the sequel trilogy you know if if that's the only plot thing that luke's done you know what is his importance in the sequel trilogy which brings us to star wars rebels i guess mm. and uh, the classic episode twin sons um, 
and I'm not sure how many of our listeners listen to Rebels. I uh, watch Rebels. I, th- I think most people have. They're all out on Blu-ray and DVD now. So, um, and it's great fun. Just watch First that season, one episode. More kid friendly. You know, I think. Just watch that one episode. It's yeah, brilliant. yeah. I mean, it should, I mean um, if anything could be live action, you'd want it to be that episode, really. But the the episode revolves around Ezra Bridger, who has um, been talking to or communing with uh, with this holocron, and uh, believes categorically that Obi-Wan Kenobi is the key to, to ending the Sith and of course by this point he's he's working with Darth Maul Ezra flirting with uh, with danger there but convinced that Maul is is ultimately benevolent and just wants uh, just just wants to help and uh, of course he's he's proven wrong but he's working with Maul and, and they perform a ritual and they, they find that Kenobi is on a planet with twin sons Maul instantly knows where to go because yeah. uh, he's been there before so uh, he tracks him down and like you said it's a great insight into Obi-Wan because this big showdown, which you obviously think is going to be a, a, a big almost replay of Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan's there as this old man now. He's and he's zen-like, stronger than ever, and uh, and he de- defeats Maul easily because Maul is just interested in revenge and makes the same mistakes he did you know, in the Phantom Menace and, uh, and Obi-Wan anticipates those. Yeah, he fights angry and, and uh, Obi-Wan's completely overcome that. Um, it's fantastic, yeah, it's isn't it? I do love that samurai moment. Oh man, I wish. I mean, I think, like, the, until Last Jedi, it was I think one of my favorite fight scenes because I love the I love the Kylo think, the yeah. Kylo Luke almost samurai standoff. It's just yeah, just an awesome that. piece of cinema. I think, and, and whatever your feelings towards Last Jedi, and, and I do think the negative feelings will calm over the years. I do think we'll look back to the prequels and uh, sorry the sequels and see Last Jedi as as a as a as a high point where the saga had enormous uh, inventive potential for more. But yeah, that particular showdown is great, especially the twist, as we find out that Luke isn't even really there. He's not fighting at all. It's uh, fantastic. I love I love that moment in Last Jedi, and I, it's one of my favourite lightsaber duels alongside this episode of Rebels Twin Sons. You're right, very samurai. I do think, we're going for tangent, I know, but I do think in Give It 20 Years... People aren't going to mind last. Not Jedi. a bit. No, no. It's it's a beautiful it's, film to watch, it's take and it's well acted, and the story is very compelling. Um, about how our society deals with warriors and the idolization of violence. It's it's a it's a comment mm. on the time that people have reacted so badly to a hero who throws down his weapons and acts peacefully. Um, after after seeing failure in trying to breed warriors. It's great. Oh god, yeah, it's it's so good. It's so interesting. It's got a lot going yeah. on in that movie. I suppose the retort yeah. is, but it's called Star Wars, and I and I totally get that. But when Obi Wan's defeated Maul, he lays there dying, and he knows that Obi Wan's protecting something, doesn't yeah. he? And he says, "Is is he the chosen one?" And Obi Wan says, "Yes, he is." And he's referring, of course, to Luke, not not Anakin, but Luke. Yeah. Um, and well, we think, so, don't we? I mean, I, I mean, it's it's ninety nine percent sure. That that's what he's referring to. I think even Filoni has gone on record of saying, "Well, yes, that's who he's referring to." So Filoni's mind is made up, so really, course, and that, that Luke is the chosen one, presumably. Well, you know, at the end of it works in universe because even even if George didn't intend this, you know, at the end of episode three, Obi Wan doubts it, doesn't he? He's standing on the side of the pit, looking at Krusty Anakin, yeah. and he says, "You were the chosen one. You know, you were supposed to d- defeat the Sith, not join them, yeah. and um, bring balance, and, not and leave and the bring force balance in the darkness. Force. Yeah." That's it, yeah. So he, everyone obviously leaves, going, yeah, he's, that's not, that's not it. Yoda was right. The prophecy was misread. 
But then he's there for the birth of the kids. Mm. And uh, like you said, the prophecy in the Jedi um, Path book, and of course in George Lucas's original 1975 script, says in the time of greatest despair, this, there will be a son of sons. And that's that's Luke and Leia, arguably, and because um, they're born in that in that exact moment, and that's when Obi Wan. My point is that, of course, he he Qui Gon and Yoda in universe will have been talking for the best part of twenty years mm. post Episode Three, and they must be talking to each other around. Okay, maybe it wasn't Anakin. You know, we've got this son now. You have to keep watch over him, Obi Wan, and and he he must be the chosen one he's he's the one who will bring all this back into balance which is why i think in episode 5 yoda's then so worried about luke running off yeah you know don't, don't and it goes along with my my own I mean? head canon that they don't mention it to luke through fear of the pressure of having to answer the call and the pressure of being known as the chosen one actually drives you the other way maybe they don't tell mm. him and it's one of those things that's never really said um I'm starting to develop a. I'm starting to become a fan of that actually, that it's all maybe uh, all wrong from the first instance, and almost it's it's a it's a death mark to be labelled as the chosen one, because it can never it can never yeah. go well. I mean, I think about think about your own life as well. If you're told that you're amazing at something, there is a tendency to stop trying, or a tendency to not feel like you're Complacency. feel like a fraud, and then overcompensate by screwing over everybody and trying to ascend and all this comes from just simply being complimented or told that you're brilliant how could it be possible to rear this child to maturity in a humble way while simultaneously telling them that they are the absolute nexus of force energy and the most powerful being in the galaxy it's just completely contradictory <laughs> it's not exactly the, yeah. the most um, you know in you know the the best kindergarten at all. You're not allowed to go out there today. You're not allowed to play with that. Why? I'm the chosen one. Yeah. Because <laughs> I said so. I said so. <laughs> because presumably the chosen one yeah. would have authority over the Jedi and by extension the Sith. But they don't. I mean, Palpatine for all intents. I mean, have we dealt with the possibility that Palpatine was the chosen one? It's intriguing. In an early episode of the episode three script, Palpatine explicitly told Anakin he was his father yeah. and it had influenced the midi-chlorians to create him. I think I think it's still uh, fairly obvious dropped. in 3 that that's what he's saying to the audience to the yeah, audience. Cuz I mean Shmi I know it's tells, still implied in there. Qui-Gon there was no father. There was no Qui-Gon says to the council it's possible the midi-chlorians conceived him and then as the audience we learn in 3 that you know there was a there was a Sith master who could influence these organisms to create life. And so I think with those three pieces of information across the three prequels we are as an audience honor bound to accept that Palpatine created Anakin. Don't you think or or do you I don't take that? I don't buy. Yeah no I th I think you're right. I think it's all there on screen to be had. Yeah. Um I've never wanted to buy it because Personally, I think it's a tad cheesy, but but the other thing is, that I think it means that Skywalker lineage is just so cursed. You know, it's come from such evil. Yeah. Um, but it would support Last Jedi, and that it not? kind of bums me out. It would support Luke sort of saying that you know the the Skywalker legacy needs to end. I mean, it ends with him, and hopefully, it ends with Kylo Ren. Should Kylo Ren not have any babies? Um, mm. It's very dangerous to get Kylo Ren and, and Rey together because they are the same age. They're both, you know, fabulous looking. They may have babies, 
And Luke's like, oh man, <laughs> you know, hopefully they don't go any place that's soft and smooth with floating pears, because we all know that that's the <laughs> Star Wars universe's biggest aphrodisiac. And, yeah. and weird bondage-like <laughs> outfits. <laughs> it's, a, it's, an odd, it's an odd moment in the saga, that's, that's for sure. Um, I dig it, I mean, I, yeah, yeah Natalie the, looked excellent in that stuff, but it was slightly kinky. The floating pears is is one hell of a thing. In fact, it's just, in, that 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 um outfit you mentioned it even has a what you call a choker. Yeah, it does. It? Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's, I'm pretty sure that's it's even... all on the nose. That's Trisha Biggar's work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is. Fabulous. Yeah, I do love Trisha Biggar's stuff in that and in in the prequels and Young Indy, the the costume designer, she's great. Um, okay. Um, I don't know from that dark side point of view if there is a prophecy or how they view the prophecy, if if at all, or if it's just a light side thing. Um, I didn't look into it. I mean, clearly, clearly they degree. think, oh, well, if there is a chosen one, then that is a being of enormous power, and I want power. So if I yeah. take out the chosen one, that power becomes up for grabs, maybe, or it releases it back into the living force. Um, one of the odd things... One of the odd things about the Emperor is if he thinks Anakin is the Chosen One and even if he created him himself, why is he so keen for Luke, you know, to, ah, to, yeah. to have Luke? Because, you know, if he thinks that it's all about Anakin and Vader, um, why is he saying, take your father's place at my side? Why is he taking such an interest in, in, in kind of grooming Luke for that? Um I, mean, I guess the argument is the in-universe argument is Anakin got bussed up, right? That, that he was not the, the, the person he should <laughs> he have been. He is a not slightly the older been. model. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's an older model. I don't know, the Emperor's so I guess all that's about the power. Isn't vision. He? He's he's all about power, yeah. and I guess Luke displays enormous power. Um, or maybe Palpatine feels the tension in his apprentice. Maybe he feels the tension in Vader, and knows that he's not truly destined oh, I don't know oh man that's really hard yeah why does he want Luke so badly not so badly I mean he offers it to him and then he just says well so be it die Jedi you know like he's like <laughs> fine sod you you know I'll find somebody else um, yeah like Palpatine clearly considers himself to be the most powerful being in the galaxy and arguably he probably is to orchestrate this entire mess um, has mm. taken enormous I mean that's that's interesting actually because Palpatine, you know, pacifistically to to a certain extent, I mean, sets up three films. He acts absolutely peacefully in a certain way, and just coercively twists the Republic into an empire. It's um, that's like knowledge and wisdom kind of stuff, isn't it? Mm. Oh, I don't know. Palpatine's a great. Character. I mean, one of the. Oh. One of the theories, anyway, is uh, you know, let's face it that the prophecy is vague, yeah, and uh, and and that's an advantage for the story group, Disney, whoever you want to say, because um, it means that you can flex it and interpret it differently. And there's a, there is a fan theory online that basically says it's a, it's a secular thing, you know, that 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 um, every generation has its chosen one. Yeah. And uh, and therefore, Snoke's right when he says darkness rises light to meet it. Rey is kind of the chosen one for the sequel trilogy. Luke's the chosen one for the um, 
the the classic trilogy and Anakin's the chosen one for the for the uh, for for the prequels. So it, you know you could be to be overly simplistic. You know you could say that well you know every trilogy's got its chosen one. Every generation has its hero. Um, whether you believe that's from I suppose until um, Ray we thought that maybe it was transferred um, through childbirth and through uh, mm. sperms and eggs. You know that it was transferred genetically through midichlorian counts, maybe. Obviously, Ray Ray mm. would um, buck that trend, and I hope they do keep that plot thread. I do like the idea that she really is from nowhere. And and to go back to the start of our show, you know, there was a lot of gripes with the fact that oh, we we could all be like Luke until they did the prequels, and then we we learned that we were we're not the descendants of kings, so we can't be. If Ray, if we've all done that thing on the playground once or twice, where you're pretending to use the Force, you know, and <laughs> really there's a part of you that thinks, this shred of you inside that thinks that that could be me, you know. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I um, love that idea that, that, that anyone could be the hero, and I think I, that's why I hope they don't retcon or kind of go around Ray's lineage. I hope she remains to be this poor wretch orphan from from nowhere. I, you know, I hope that this time around she really, she really remains that. And, um, mm. oh, I don't know. Yeah, so the chosen one then is not something that's passed genetically, but it's it's passed by the living force into an individual. We don't know, you know, to, to support, if you want to write midichlorians back into that, we don't know if someone can gain a midichlorian count or get more or lose them either. That's never been fully explored and is like unlikely to be now. Um... So yeah, that maybe that's the best explanation there is that it's this kind of like nexus or l- localized cloud of energy that passes from one individual or around them to the next. And it's the will of the force, yeah. isn't it? You know, Qui-Gon says finding Anakin was the will of the force. I have no doubt of that. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of trouble with the will of the force. Maybe it's the will of the force. The will of the force. Because it because it sort of <laughs> it kind of sets up the idea that the force has a consciousness and a thinking. Basically, it makes it a god that's able to determine things. And by this extension, we can infer that the the deaths of millions and billions of living creatures because of the Death Star is in fact the will of the Force, which makes the entire Force very shaky as a concept because it turns out to be more like a a god of the Earth, you know, quite wrathful at times and jealous and capricious. Do you think so? Um, but isn't it just always seeking um, balance? Yeah, I maybe. I, I, what do you, what do they really mean by the will of the force? Is it just an affectionate name for, you know, the equation trying to balance itself? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think I think it's always seeking. I think the best explanation for the force, in a way, has been is the one on Act Two in in Last mm. Jedi. It's the force is seeking that balance between life, death, pain, <laughs> pleasure. One yeah. of putting it, you know, it, it, it's seeking that um, harmony of um, sand, Nabu, nature. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and I think that's the will of the force. That's the way I interpret the will of the force. Anyway, I know what you mean. It, it kind of makes it almost like a deity or something. But yeah, I think um, I don't want to go down it too often because I mean, I, I love the force and it's really interesting to me. And I don't want to think of it as having a personality or choice-making thing. I mean, obviously the Mortis arc does introduce that concept with the father representing the balance. The, well, I guess the planet itself 
Yeah, that's quite elegant how they do it. The planet is the force, of course. There are personalities within it. But itself is just an ecosystem. And we can choose yeah. to destroy that ecosystem. Or we can choose to foster it and nurture it. And make it grow. And that's the choice of the people involved. Okay. So, so in conclusion, <laughs> are we saying Anakin is the chosen one? Or are we saying... He could be. <laughs> he could be for that moment. Is that what we're kind of saying? I am going to say that I'm from now on going to choose to watch the saga with the assumption that the Chosen One prophecy is bunk and that Palpatine right. created Anakin as a sort of anomaly of force energy. He's an unnatural birth. Um... High midichlorian counts higher than Yoda's, who's known to be a great, powerful Jedi. An unnatural being that had children who were equally gifted, who then passed on those genes to the successive generation, Kylo Ren. And these people are kind of doomed to walk a very dark path, generally, because of their unnatural lineage. And that one bright spark, the son of Anakin identifies this problem and takes action towards a more peaceful galaxy that's what i think wow yeah 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 that's kind of a get around you heard it here first. so i'm throwing it all away <laughs> i'm throwing the entire chosen th chosen one thing away um because it lays the groundwork for the the little boy with the broomstick and it lays the groundwork for ray yes. who comes from nowhere and it opens up it yeah. opens up the possibility for people to ally with the good and be effective and it, it doesn't mm. um, one of the biggest problems I have with messianic stuff is this, the idea of scapegoating so in, in ancient cultures mm. people would load up the sins and deformities of the village onto a literal goat and drive it out into the desert this is where we get the term mm. and messianic sacrificial religions like Christ are scapegoating writ large and we should not load up our our hopes and dreams on Anakin Skywalker, Luke or Rey to solve the problem. We all need to be involved. Yeah. And I think this is the profound point Leia tries to make. That she keeps the fire alive for, you know, rebellion and the forces of democracy and, you know, taking action to defend democracy. That's, that's one of the reasons I love the, the sequel trilogy Leia. Because at this time, you know, yeah. a lot of a lot of young people today don't fight for their freedoms. We take them for granted. I think Brexit has shown how fragile it all really is, and that you know yeah, freedoms yeah. need to be defended. So anyway, that's that's my conclusion. I'm not sure I'll find many people supporting that's fantastic. it. <laughs> well, people can get in touch. They can let. Yeah, you know. guys, please um, do. I... <laughs> I, uh, I, I, th I broadly agree with you. I, I think that there is a move now with the sequel trilogy to, to make it around the everyman uh, or every person, make it around everyone. Yeah. And I think there is an element of passing the torch and fighting for a cause and, and, and being less about the individual and more about the collective and the collective good. And I think that the messianic uh, kind of elements always make it more about the person, more about the individual, and placing all the importance on them. And I think even though George... It pains me to say this, because George clearly did make this six-film arc. You know, that was what he... I have visions of him walking around the estate, you know, yeah. in, the, uh, in 1993, 94, 
dreaming this stuff up, thinking, oh, how am I going to tie all this together? How am I going to make this a six-film thing? And he did it, and I think he achieved it, and, and, and I think that... But it's compatible with my theory. People adding... It's not incompatible. It's just, it's just a simple change in perception that all of these people are mm. suffering from an illusion. Um, it doesn't diminish mm. their efforts, actually, and it mostly agrees with the most powerful Jedi in the room at any one time, Mace and Yoda. It, it sort of reveals them to know yeah. the truth all along. And it, and it shows the it shows yeah, the yeah. power of a of a delusion and the power of a myth, ruining a society. Um, so so the prophecy was misread. You know that there's a shred of the yeah. kernel of truth there, but but they misinterpreted what it really. For all meant. we know, this prophecy could have been written by the Sith as a smokescreen, to make the Jedi complacent <laughs> and lazy. A smokescreen. A smokescreen. Yeah, uh, yeah. Make them complacent and lazy and sit on their nice fancy chairs and wait for the boy who can guess what the cup is uh, to come along. Yeah. And uh, just in final words, when Anakin is uh, guessing the cup and the ship, what always bugs me is uh, is that the, uh, the, the things on the screen are like... 3D models from from episode one specifically, so like the the speeder, yeah. is, like the the ship is a Naboo starship, and the speeder is a Naboo speeder. They're all 3D models that they're using on that one movie, and I'm like, why would they all be like Naboo specific? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Anyway, that's another <laughs> conversation for another day. I saw the 1138 um, thanks droid very much. actually last night for the first time. Oh, what's that? Uh, when the droid control ship is taken down and there's a shot of Jar Jar and one oh, of the head yeah, falls yeah, yeah. off one of the droids, if you look on the That's back it, of the yeah. droid, it says 1138, which is kind of cool. Yeah, they are all broken. Yeah, 1138. I really like Jar Jar. Um, you know, I, hey. I, I didn't mind it. I really had a, I had a lot of fun last night watching Phantom Menace, I have to say. And I can't believe it's twenty years. Well, that's old. a good. I really can't, and I just. Uh, that's a good preview. That's a good preview for some of our up, yeah. up upcoming shows. We're, we're going to be talking at length around Jar Jar Binks and <laughs> how the whole thing holds up. So we're going to do two or three shows around that. We're going to be doing like nostalgic memories of where were you in '99? Where were you watching? We're going to be looking back on like the video games, the merchandise at the time, what we ruled up to, and then we're going to rope in Fletcher Walton from One Sensational Shot, who is far more cynical than I or James about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he'll he'll no doubt be bringing us crashing back down to earth around uh, how well Phantom Menace has held up after all this time. But hey, some healthy debate is always. Oh, good. I uh, hope you've enjoyed. Gone. <laughs> I just read through my notes. I have one more thing that I picked out from the film last night. Um, when they talk about the Virgins, uh, Mace says centered around a person, which I thought was really interesting. And so that's what that's what oh, that's what yeah. gave rise to this idea of the cloud kind of force that Avergence can sort of centre around a group of people or a planet or an area like a rebel base or Leia's resistance, you know. Avergence can be not just a person but it can be a group of people or, or a location or anything. It's just kind of these clouds of activity in the Force and I thought that was an interesting way to uh, start thinking about balance and chosen ones. Is there a chosen place? Is there a chosen people? Is there a... I mean that's that's really crazy because then that gets into like the Israelites and stuff like that but... Um, wow, 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 that's that's fantastic. I, I had never picked up on that one Mace But you remember it, right? Centered around yeah. a person? Centered yeah, around yeah, a person. yeah, I remember and the delivery. Obviously they're aware of virgences not just being centered around people and it's kind of this locus of activity
activity more than being in the cells, I suppose. We'll probably be we'll, we'll probably all be disappointed when episode nine comes out and it doesn't deal with any of this stuff whatsoever, and uh, we just get like a Death Star for uh, a Jabba the Hutt scene ripoff and <laughs> um, <laughs> something. They go back to the Ewok village or something. I don't know. <laughs> it could be anything. Um, you can get in touch with us at Local Trouble Pod on Twitter. Um, go to localtrouble.com uh, or onesensationalshot.com and you can find us on there. Search Facebook for Local Trouble Star Wars Podcast. Lots of different ways to get in touch. Um, and now we're on the main One Sensational Shot feed. Do check out all of the other shows and um, hope you haven't bored you to tears if you're one of the more uh, regular listeners to One Sensational Shot. But uh, nevertheless, good to be here. Good to be good to be home with the One Sensational Shot podcast. Um, thanks for listening, guys. In the meantime, may the force be with you. <laughs>